Please remain standing as you're able. This is Exodus 19. The people are at Mount Sinai, about to receive the Ten Commandments, and God lets them know why they've been released from slavery and who they are to be. Chapter 19, verse 5. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. I don't know if you read it in the paper or saw it on the news, but 46-year-old Robert Villarreal, who works uh, for Border Protection in Eagle Pass but lives in San Antonio, was on his way to his house from the cleaners when he saw a young boy covered in blood uh, coming toward him. You'll know that he stopped and went in and rescued not only the 10-year-old boy but his 12-year-old brother from a certain uh, stabbing. Because of his heroics, he received this past week uh, from the police chief of San Antonio the Citizen's Hero Award, and and I think he should receive that. Uh, What's interesting to me and what I appreciate is that when he went into this rescue mode, he didn't stop to quibble about things. The first thing is he didn't stop to quibble about the looks of the people uh, that he would be with. He didn't say, well, that boy doesn't look very good all covered in blood. I don't know if I really want to go there. He didn't quibble about the looks of the people. He didn't quibble about the style or architecture of the house where he was going to pull up. He didn't say, hmm, this doesn't really look like a house that I really want to be in. I I don't think I'll run inside there. He never did that. He never stopped and quibbled about, well, I wonder what my reward is. What's in it for me? What am I going to get out of it if I go run in that house? He never did that. And he never quibbled about whose job it was. As far as we know, he never said, well, you know, I'm border patrol, but this really is a job for the police. I don't think I'll go in there. He just went in. And yet, we have been talking about worship for a month in this church. And when I listen to people, both in this church and other churches, talk about worship, what I hear is a lot of quibbling about those four things. And you might say, well, you know, he was talking about rescuing the child. That's life and death. And and we're talking about worship. It's not life and death. Oh, really? Really? Let's go back a little while. James Michener, in his book, The Source, traces a mythical town in the Holy Land from its caveman and cavewoman days up to the six-day Arab-Israeli conflict in 1967. And in one of its pre-Israelite Canaanite days, he focuses in on a family. And it is their turn to do what every family in the town must do. Some family each year must come to appease the god Baal, must offer their firstborn son as a human sacrifice. And it is their family's turn. And the father is gathering his son, getting ready to take him to the middle of the town where he will be killed. And as he walks out the opening to their shelter, the woman turns and says to no one in particular, if my husband had a different god, he'd be a different man. And that's just the issue, isn't it? Our lives reflect the God who we worship or don't worship. And everything in society can sort of fall back from that. If you want to know what life looks like when the God of the universe is not worshipped, you can just take a look at Canaanite society before Israel got there. Firstborn sons are sacrificed. Other children who are not wanted are left to die. Men are encouraged, indeed required, to participate in prostitution 
so that the goddess Astarte will be pleased and motivated to make the crops fertile. People live with a deep down sense of fear and violence is rampant. That's Canaanite world. But actually, come to think of it, that's sort of like our world. Which just proves the point that our world will follow our worship. Friends, there's a lot of quibbling about worship in churches today. My point to you is we don't have time or energy to quibble. What we are about is too important to be just messing around in intramural debates and discussion. What we do is life and death. If we don't keep the worship of God alive, society and the world will suffer for it. Worship is our gift to the world. So let's look at that quibbling for just a few minutes. One of the quibbles I hear often is, well, I'm not sure that I really am like the other people in that house. I'm really not sure that they look like me, act like me, dress like me. I don't think I'll go in and join them. C.S. Lewis in his screw tape letters points out that this is one of the demon's first tricks to get people to fall away from worship and to get them to evaluate the other people who are in worship with them. Whether or not they look right, sing right, sound right, pray right. And that's the first step on a slippery slope, that sort of judgment and evaluation that leads us straight out of a life of worship. So sometimes we quibble about the other people who are around us. Sometimes we quibble about the style. could be the architecture. Well, that's too big. That's too small. That's too formal. That's too informal. What are those screens doing there? Where's the robe? And we've created what one of my friends calls Goldilocks worshipers. This worship is too hard. This worship is too soft. This worship is too hot. This worship is too cold. And we spend our lives looking for the one that's just right. Never seeming to find it. And what happens to the world around us while we look around? while we play with our preferences. You've seen some of the research and heard from me, the research they're doing on Generation Next, my kids' age, 18 to 25. And you've seen some of it about some of their values. But what isn't getting reflected in the paper are other questions being asked about them about faith and church. And this is what we found. A friend of mine summed it up pretty well. He said that youth, 18 and young adults, 18 to 25, are, and these are his words, disgusted when churches fight within themselves and when churches fight and compete with other churches. Friends, the generation behind us just don't have use for that. It's not attractive to them to tell them that we've got it right and everybody else has got it wrong. Or this style fits and everybody else's style, well, Jesus just wouldn't have done it that way. That just, that's not going to fly. It's not going to fly. And we quibble over style while the world goes up in flames. Sometimes I hear quibbling about this question. Well, what am I going to get out of it? What's in it for me? You know, I've thought about this as a pastor. I've been at it more than 25 years. And, and typically, and you can you know, keep this for future reference, there are two ways to neutron bomb the pastor. You know, you toss the bomb at the pastor, and, and, and uh, the shell will still be there, but, but you can pretty well shake everything inside. And one of them is this. Come up and say to a pastor one time, you know, pastor, I'm just not being fed. I'm just not being fed. I mean, what defense for that is there? Well, I've kind of thought about it for a while, and this is finally what I decided. If you're not being fed, then you must not be exercising your faith. 
Because if you were exercising your faith, you'd be willing to put out whatever garbage I put on the table for you to eat. But the other one, the big one is this. You've heard it, you've said it. I've said it. I'm not getting anything out of worship. I remember 20 years ago in a church where I was pastor when that bomb was dropped on me among a respected couple in our congregation called me aside to uh, give me that news, to deliver that to me and make sure it got to the target. And so I remember hearing that from them and I was just terrified. And so I started walking through these people about what we could change. 150 people gathered for worship every Sunday, but we were going to make adjustments that are going to fit two of them. Well, you know, if it happened today, I think I would handle it differently. They'd pull me aside, deliver the message. I'm not getting anything out of it. And my response would be, so? So? It's not about you anyway. That's why we call it worship. It's not about what we get. It's about what we give and what we bring. And like anything else in life, the more we bring and give, the more that we will get. The more we put into it, the more we'll get out of it. In worship, God is the audience, not you, not me. We are the participants. We are the actors. We bring our songs. We bring our prayers. We bring our thoughts. We bring our presence for God. We are the actors. God is the audience. But somehow, we've adjusted that and rewritten it. To our peril and the peril of the world. You know, Stockstone Rodeo is starting soon, and, and they have a great idea. I think several years ago they started having Sunday morning worship services in the show barn, so in one of the show barns, so that uh, the competitors and the volunteers alike could worship on Sunday. And they invite a guest speaker each Sunday to come and deliver the message. Well, three years ago it was my turn, and uh, I was excited and willing to do it. So I showed up, and I got there early because I like to check things out. And, and an usher uh, handed me a bulletin and said, uh, this your first time? And I said, yeah, this is my first time. He said, he got kind of serious and looked around. He said, oh, he said, you should have been here last week. David Robinson was speaking. And I said, really? Really? And he said, yeah. And he said, in next week's Buckner Fanning, I don't know who the guy is that's talking today. You know, when they introduced me about 30 minutes later, I looked for him. I just couldn't find him anywhere. <laughs> but that's what it's going Who's bringing the entertainment? Who's bringing the entertainment? Not what are we bringing. And we do that. And the world suffers. And finally, I, I sometimes hear people quibbling about this. Well, it's not my job. It's... The pastor's job, the staff's job, the people that are really into Jesus, it's their job to worship, not mine. But the fact of the matter is, according to Exodus, that's exactly why there was a people of Israel, to worship God and set the pace for the rest of the world. It is your job. It is your only job to live a life of worship to God. And you do it not just for yourself. You do it for the world. I think Ray Vanderland's exactly right when he invites you to go and find in a concordance or BibleGateway.com the number of times the phrase, so that the world may know, shows up in the Bible. All these things happen so that the world that doesn't yet worship God will worship God. And one of the ways that they come to know about God is our presence here. How will they know what we believe? Well, the choir said they'll know we're Christians by our love, and that's true. But sometimes our actions need interpretation. 
Romans 10 puts it this way. How are people to believe that they have not heard? And how will they hear unless someone speaks? When we come to worship, we speak. And we connect our voice of praise with our action of love. Some years ago, uh, one of the great consultants, uh, the One Minute Manager, wrote a book. And in the book, though, he told the story of, uh, of a grandchild he had who was in the intensive care nursery. And in the intensive care nursery, the child who was born prematurely, he was invited as a grandfather to come and visit. And, and he would come and uh, talk to the child. And the nurse said, no, 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 you can also touch the child. It is important, she said, for the child to connect your voice and your touch. It's important in this world that the world receives both our touch of love but our voice about why we do it. We do it out of worship. We keep the worship of God alive in this world for another generation. Now, some of you know that uh, each, each Sunday on my, on my way here, I always stop for caffeine. I always stop at the same place. And I walk inside there, and usually I have a tie on, sometimes a, a coat and tie. And I'm about the only one in there dressed that way, and then I go on. But the other night, there was no one else, just two people that worked there. One was in the back, and one was at the cash register. And so when I came to the cash register, she popped the question. She said, you know, I've always wanted to ask you when I see you on Sunday morning, what church is it that you go to? And so I told her. You know, every Sunday morning, when I get dressed, I get dressed because it's my job. But I also get dressed because it's my big job, real job, my job as a human being, to bear presence to the reality of God. It is my protest. Every Sunday, my protest is to get dressed and go and worship because the rest of the world worships themselves and their goals. And their happiness. And their needs. And I protest every Sunday and hope others will see it when I come here. That's why I'm here. That's why you're here. Not for yourselves. Not just for God. But for each other and for the world. Mark uh, started us off on this series and told us a little bit about our own history as a church. When Alamo Heights United Methodist Church was in danger of closing its doors because they couldn't afford to stay in business, you recall he said they started having chicken dinners for like 15 cents to, to help keep the lights on and the doors open. Well, a couple of weeks ago I heard about a church uh, east, of, of the, uh, east of the Appalachians, east of Smokies, out uh, toward the east coast. And they ran into difficulty as well, so they started doing barbecue chicken lunches after church on Sunday, five ninety-five a plate. Well, they got wildly popular. So they started moving the lunches from not just Sunday to Saturday and Sunday. They still were selling out, so they started doing it seven days a week. And finally they decided, we're so good at this and this is so profitable, we don't even need to worship, and so they quit. They're a barbecue restaurant. For real. The one job God gave them as human beings and they passed it off. Not my job. It is our job. The world does not need good barbecue. There's enough of it already. The world needs to know 
that there is a God. And we let them know as we come to worship. If you read the rest of the article on Robert Villarreal, they asked him about the risks involved in, in running in that dangerous situation. He said, never even thought about it. He said, I just went into autopilot and he ran in. I started thinking about that. Autopilot. Now, autopilot comes from a lot of training somewhere. I thought about what is it that makes him the kind of person that, that's willing, without quibbling, to do that. And I thought, well, it could be there's 21 years in the Air Force. No question about that. But it could also be that somewhere along the line, someone planted in him the idea of right versus wrong, good versus evil, mercy and justice as opposed to oppression. Somebody, somewhere along the line, planted in him the idea of God. And they did it through worship.